Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of your favorite movie podcast. That's right, the one and only Force Perspective. This is episode 57, Selma with the Big Eyes. I am your host, Force Guy 515 and on this episode, we continue our Oscar Mania celebration by reviewing a few of the nominees in different categories at this year's Academy Awards, such as Into the Woods, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Foxcatcher, along with reviews of two additional films, The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, and the Oscar snub Timber and Film, Big Eyes. But before all that, allow me to introduce my co-host, the co-star of the upcoming year-long feature known as Batgirl Begins, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. So Oscar Mania, is that a little more, is that like uh, Hulk Mania? Is it running wild? Oh, right now, for me, it's running wild right now because I'm watching these bad boys about two or three times right now. And I'll get to all that when we do the last segment, but yeah, it's running yeah. wild right now for me. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get into Oscar Mania at the end of the month, right? Oh, uh, my annual, not my now annual tradition, which is uh, yeah. the 24-hour marathon. So I'm looking forward to that, too. Yeah. Also on this episode, though, we will be giving our Oscar predictions at the end of the show. 
which by the time this episode drops, we're going to be three days away from the big ceremony at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, as well as giving our personal top 10 films of 2014. But, I mean, if this is the last time we're going to have a Dolphin one for a while, we're going to make it one to talk about and put more on that at the end of the show. So we're going to get into it now. So, and and the reason for that being is that we're we're gonna go to the Oscars ourselves, and I might just get stuck in Hollywood. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, actually. But I mean, I mean, let's let's get right into it. Um, our first review is for a film that's nominated for a Best Actress. Is it Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress? Now I got to go back to my list. I believe here. it is Best Supporting Actress. It is. You are correct. It is Best Supporting Actress. I, I don't know if it's nominated for other things too, but that's the main one. And that's Into the Woods. Um, So basically, this is a uh, film adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's musical of the same name, Into the Woods. And it basically tries to turn, like, the fairy tales that we know of, like Cinderella and um, Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, and kind of turn them on their heads and kind of see the consequences of those stories. Uh, Basically kind of intermingles those stories as well as other ones like the main characters, like everything plays out sort of as in the fairy tale, but then in the second half of the film, you kind of see the ugly consequences of what happens, like the stuff that you don't talk about after happily ever after. Um, For me, the hype was pretty big for this one. I mean, I kept hearing nothing but excellent things about this film, and me being a fan of musical films too, you know, I, I was excited for it. But in the end, it was all a big mess. I mean, it was okay. The big standouts were Meryl Streep and James Corden as a, the witch and the baker, respectively. Uh, Sondheim's score was exceptional, and it really added to the mood of the film. Especially like in, in the beginning, you kind of hear more like triumphant, uh, triumphant sounds. Whereas when you get to the second half, it's more very dark and, and ominous sounds for the score. Uh, personally, though, the actress who played Red Riding Hood, I believe she's a new actress, Lila Crawford, was annoying as hell, and I just wanted her to be off the screen. Uh, the first half is great. I mean, it, it, it kind of stays true to the, uh, the fairy tales, even like the darker aspects of it. So even though it takes a really dark turn in the second, it also comes off very boring to me, and it kind of lost me by the last half hour, which I just didn't care what was happening. Uh, cinematography-wise, the film looks great. I mean, the first half has vibrant colors, while the second half uses more grayish tones, which kind of keeps in line with the plot and the story being told. And all scenes in the woods also kind of have this grayish tone as well. But, uh, I mean, there's not much else I can say about it. In the end, it's recommended to anyone who likes musicals. But at the same time, I could think of worse ways to spend two hours. So anybody who's just looking for time to kill, I mean, you can't go wrong with this one. Um, I think I'm more in the middle with this one than you are. I think the from production values, uh, it was... You know, like you said, production value was a you know a very beautiful looking film. The cinematography was great, production design, costume design. Uh, Meryl Streep again was amazing because that's what she does, and it's boring. Um, but I'm t- <laughs> no, I'm telling you, dude, I want to see her in like a Transformers movie or something. Just something just completely terrible. Just I want to see her in something absolutely horrible because I want to see if the Academy would just nominate her just because because they have to have just a slot for her reserved every year. No matter what. I know. Yeah, like, let's see here. Like, you know, we talked about Stanley Tucci being Transformers, who's a great actor. And let, let's see her step into, like, a Transformers or a Ninja Turtles type of movie and see if she still gets nominated. I'm serious. I would totally watch that. Um, but but back, back to the movie. Um, it, it was, I mean, she was great. Um, a lot of the actors were great. Um, but it just, you know, 
I'll do um, what's the word I'm looking for. Now, as a matter of full disclosure, I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I have never seen the the original musical, so I didn't go into it with any sort of you know nostalgia or any sort of um, preconceived notions of what it should be. So I had no idea that it was you know taking fairy tales and p- putting them on their heads. The only thing I knew about it was that like all these different fairy tales kind of merged into one story. Uh, but I didn't know that they, that they kind of took it in the direction that they would eventually take it. Um, but it's just not, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. I don't think the songs are very catchy. I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the dark tone that it takes later at the second half of the film. Uh, and I know this is all from the original production or the original musical production, but it's just, it just doesn't do it for me. It's not, there's nothing wrong with the film and I certainly applaud its, you know, originality, but it's just not for me, I think. Did you find it odd that Disney would be the one behind this movie considering some it like does, dark subject it, matter? It is, it is very odd that it's a Disney production. Uh, you would think that they would clean up, clean it up and make it a little more quote unquote Disney fied. Right. Because it's, it is pretty dark at the end. Um, but, but it, it did strike me as odd after watching the film, realizing that it was a Disney film. Like, you know, like the scene that stands out for me in that aspect was, like, the scene where, like, the princes have their song. They're talking about how, like, you know, they're in love with this girl. And then they come off as, like, you know, shallow douchebags and talk about how they want to fuck them. It's pretty, like, <laughs> considering it's a Disney film, it's pretty awesome to actually watch that unfold, you know. And it, it was a catchy song, too, for me. I mean, that was a pretty entertaining scene. Um, but, I mean, I, for one, and, again, this, this might just be me, but I, I can't think of, I, I couldn't start singing along to like any song right now that from that from that film or from that musical it just doesn't stick with me and it's just not i don't know it just does not work for me the the movie was it was fine and it was well produced and well acted and well sung and well choreographed and all the elements and the pieces were there but it just didn't it didn't strike any chords with me yeah, like, like I said, the first half was great, but then it lost me by the second, and it got to the point where, like, by the last half hour, I just didn't care anymore. But, yeah. uh, I mean, I've noticed that uh, a lot of these stage musicals are going to be vastly superior to the film adaptation. Like, I've seen Mamma Mia, the film, and the stage adaptation. I love the show. Same thing with Rock of Ages. I hate that freaking Rock of Ages film, but the show is freaking incredible. So, yeah, Rock of Ages is a terrible movie. Yeah, I, I kind of get this trend now where it seems like... It's better than Rock of Ages. It's better than Rock of yeah. Ages. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But it's like, why even bother if, you know... I mean, I, I get that people can't... Don't, people all don't live in New York and people don't have, like, a lot of these places where, you know, they have these types of shows. But, I mean, if you're not going to do the show justice, why even bother? That, that's my take on it. Well, I don't think... I mean, again, I, I've, I, I've never seen the, the, the original musical. I don't think it's a matter of not doing it justice because, I mean, it looks good. It looked... Looked like a really well done production. Um, I, I I don't have a problem with what it looked like or what it sounded like, or it just the content just didn't do it for me. You know what I mean? So I probably would have felt the same way if I sat in a in a in a, in a theater in a musical theater to watch it. You right. know? I mean, I, I was uh, speaking strictly about like the other two adaptations I was talking about than this one. Although I do want to say that if you know anybody who lives in like the New York area, New Jersey, the there is a revival right going on right now of Into the Woods. That's off-Broadway. So if there's anybody that wants to catch that who likes the film, you know, there is a revival going on until I think the beginning of April. So if you want to catch that, you know, it's out there. What I think is interesting is that, um, doing my research on this, that there was, this movie has been long 
been trying to be made into a, a, a film. Sorry, this music has been long been trying to be made into a film for a while. It's been, it's been a while. Um, there, there was a, at one point in development uh, in the early 90s, a version of the film that was going to have Robin Williams as the baker, Goldie, nice. Hawn, Goldie Hawn as the baker's wife, Cher as the witch, and Danny, Danny DeVito as the giant. Uh, <laughs> That's Steve, Martin, Steve Martin as the wolf, and Roseanne Barr as Jack's mother. Wow, that, bro. That is a... That, I think, would have been an interesting... Uh, a more interesting uh, read of the movie, to be honest, to see all those different elements. It could have been a major disaster and a, and a huge, you know, car wreck, but it, it, it would it would have been fun to watch, I think. I miss Johnny Depp after, like, the five minutes he was in it, bro. Like, he brought so much... Like, I just found him really he brought, annoying. I, yeah, I really he, found him annoying. Considering that his recent efforts haven't been all that great, just to see him, like, kind of embrace this role as the wolf for the little time he was in it was was, was great. And, uh, see, I, I would have rather had him in, in the film than the girl who played Red Riding Hood. She was annoying as hell, bro. I thought she I was done by... After that whole phase of, uh, of the movie with her story... I thought she was done, but then when she came back, I was like, fuck, bro. <laughs> Why is she back? I don't know. She, the, Johnny Depp, I thought, was... I don't know. I, I found him kind of annoying. i got to be honest. Uh, I thought his character was, was annoying, and I thought... I thought the whole, and maybe this is intentional, but the whole thing where he wants to eat her, I thought that was really kind of creepy. It was like bordering on sexual. And maybe that's what he was... <laughs> maybe that's what the point is, but it creeped me out. Yeah, I think that's the vibe they're going for. It's kind of, you're supposed to feel like, what? Wait a minute. Because it's supposed to have a little hint of realism to it, you know? So I think that's probably the vibe you're supposed to get. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. The, it, it's fine. It's it, If you like musicals and if you like the 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 actual produ- stage production, you'll probably like it. I just, and this is all on me. This is just me not necessarily liking the content, but uh, it, it's well-produced content. I can't really fault it for that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on there, our next film, uh, nominated for Best Picture, although snuffed from a few other categories. I don't know if we want to get into that in a little bit, but uh, that's uh, Selma. Now, Adolfo, just briefly give us the plot of Selma, and when you're done, I kind of want to revisit something with you. So uh, what's, uh, what's Selma about? Well, Selma t- is the, um, it takes a, a segment of the life of uh, Martin Luther King. It's not. It's not a. It's not a biopic in the in the traditional sense where it's his entire life story. It's more um, about his um, his quest or his um, attempt to uh, stage a peaceful march in uh, Selma. Is it Mississippi? Is it there or Alabama? In Alabama. Alabama. Sorry, Alabama. Uh, to to <clears throat> excuse me to. Uh, to stage a peaceful march for civil rights in, in uh, Selma in Alabama. Um, and, you know, all the trials and tribulations that, that goes along with that, including, you know, uh, having, de- you know, meetings with the president and uh, kind of uh, having, you know, politicking with the uh, the local civil rights organization and, and, and things like that. And what I really appreciate about this film is, is that, one, it, it didn't make – what biopics to me can uh, – you know, and theory of everything kind of avoided this, but uh, biopics to me, like whenever they try and tell the entire person's life, can get a little can get a little tedious. I, I much prefer biopics like this that are, are um, they just take a segment of the person's life and then try to document that specific event or moment in their life. And what I found was interesting was that it didn't 
you know, with a with a with a subject matter like Martin Luther King, I think it would be very easy to fall into the trap of idolizing him too much throughout the film. And that and while I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve that, the real man doesn't deserve that, but it makes for a boring movie. So I kind of found it refreshing that they they showed his faults. You know, they showed that he was you know a bit of an adulterer. You know, that he showed that uh, they showed that the, in the film that. A lot of this was, you know, he, he was interested in the civil rights movement, obviously, and he, he did uh, genuinely care for that. But he was also kind of manipulate, trying to manipulate the media and manipulate politicians. And I thought that was really clever how they did that. Okay. Okay. So now before we talk about my side, and maybe you can elaborate more on your points. Uh, what I want to do right now is I'm going to play a clip from episode 37 of this show, Force Perspective. And uh, maybe try to draw some parallels to uh, what we're talking about now. So here is uh, our review of The Butler. I think this movie is one of the most manipulative, um, just most like I'm going to deliberately pull on your heartstrings kind of movies that would make Frank Capra ashamed of himself. This, this, I, 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 That's a good one, bro. I, the like all of the all of the touching emotional moments felt false to me. They felt superficial. They felt manufactured. It's such a baity kind of look at what we're doing kind of movie um, just to get attention. Folks, let me tell you something. I I'm not going to get into my politics on this show, but I will say this: that the civil rights movements in our countries are something that should be uh, the. They, there are many stories to be told about that, and there are many good movies to be made about that, and there are many movie, good movies that have been made about that. Absolutely. This is not one of them. This is not one of them. Um, and th- what my problem with this was is that it didn't tell us anything new. It didn't do anything uh, constructive. This reminds me of Crash, and but it, this reminds me of Driving Miss Daisy. This reminds me of movies that like have nothing new to say about race relations and just say, hey, doesn't it suck that this was like this? Uh, yeah, it kind of sucks. And then that's it. They don't offer you anything else. And that's it. Like, yeah, we all know it sucks. Do something new with this material. This is not anything new. Are you a racist? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a racist. <laughs> I'm a racist against terrible uh, movie executives. Now, Dolfo. Did Selma meet any of this criteria that you spoke of for The Butler? No. This movie is ten times the movie The Butler is. This movie is ten times the movie The Help is. Like, it, it, because, you know, it, you like to kid me, uh, the, you know, you like to poke fun at me that because I hate those movies that, like, you know, I, uh, I'm anti-civil rights or whatever. But it's not that. It's that I, those movies fall into too many traps and then make them boring and uninteresting. The Help to me is actually even... It, it, goes the, in the opposite direction because it, it all boils down to, oh, the magic little white girl helped everybody out, right? But in this film, you know, it's, it's, all, about, it's all about Dr. King, and it doesn't make him, while he is a hero of the film and he's, you know, a hero of civil rights, it doesn't make him a flawless god, you know? He is a fallible human being, and that makes a much more interesting person in this film. Uh, they, they don't try to... You know, and, and there was a lot of um, backlash or, or controversy over the fact that you know that Lyndon Johnson wasn't portrayed as like this 
great man either. And it's like, well, I mean, that's not the story we're trying to tell here, you know. And he, he at the by the end of the movie, you know, he, he you know, quote unquote, does the right thing. But you know, and whether or not that's based in reality is, doesn't matter. The, the the point is that you're trying to make a story about Dr. King in this particular event in his life, and it's much more. This film was much more constructive to see the the actual struggle of of civil rights than than something like The Butler, which was just pandering. Now, do you think that the, the constructiveness of this film kind of has to do a lot more with the timing of its release? Considering I know right now in this country where it's a little sensitive right now, a little tense. Uh, as far as race relations goes, because of recent events. So, do you think it's maybe the timing that kind of helps its constructiveness and helps its message come across better? Um, I don't think it hurts. I mean, especially with all the stuff going on in Ferguson and the and the Eric Garner case and everything like that, it, it doesn't hurt the movie's, you know, message or or impact um, to be released around the time that these things are going on. But if it would have been released. 10 years ago or two years from now, I think it would still um, resonate. Uh, and, and, it's, and if I can just kind of go on a rant, um, last episode when we were talking about the Oscar nominations and I said, oh, people need to relax. It, you know, sometimes you know, people don't get nominated for things and sometimes they do and it's not some grand conspiracy or whatever because we we're talking about the whitewashing of the of the Oscars and after and that that was before I had seen the film and you know what I have to change my tune a little bit uh, after watching this film it is kind of ridiculous that this did not get anything else especially for actor especially for director especially for writing I mean it is really kind of ridiculous that it only got best picture and best song uh, it's it's not I mean. Again, I haven't seen all the Best Picture uh, nominees. I haven't seen American Sniper, for example, so I'm not sure how good or or bad uh, Bradley Cooper is. But, I mean, does he deserve the spot over David Oyelo? I mean, that guy was amazing. That's the thing, bro. It's like, it's just, we talked about this last episode, it's just so competitive this year in the the Best Actor race. Like, the, the guys that are in there now, I feel deserve to be in it, but he should be in it too. You know, there should be like a sixth nominee for him because he was that good. So that's why it's, it's a little hard to be able to say, okay, so he's better than him. He should have been in it because all six performances were, were terrific. Yeah, they were. Um, but here, here's, here, here's my, here's my, I guess here's my beef. And we'll, we'll talk about this film a little later, but Foxcatcher, uh, Bennett Miller was nominated for best director. Uh, and I'm not going to uh, – we'll get to our full review of Foxcatcher later, but honestly, I think uh, – I believe her name is Ava DuVernay – should have gotten yeah. that spot. She should have gotten yeah, that spot over Bennett Miller. I was going to bring that up too, because Foxcatcher is not even up for Best Picture, but the director was not my yeah. To me, it kind of yeah. makes no sense. It kind of, it it kind of make goes any, hand in hand. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but it, it, this – I mean, it, this is the anti – Butler. This is the anti that helped. This is this movie is what those movies wish they could be. Ironically enough, bro, and I, I brought this up uh, today with you. David Oyelowo was also in the help, and he was also in the Butler, as well as Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But uh, but here, I do kind of remember him. I do remember him in, in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Once you mentioned him, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that guy now. He's, but I don't remember. Him in, yeah, yeah, I don't remember him in Hell in the Help or the Butler though. Yeah, I mean, he did, I think uh, he played. Uh, I think he played the son. 
hold on, hold on. Let me not. I was going to bother you, so I got to look it up now. Um, I think it said Lewis Gaines, which I believe was the was, uh, Forrest Whitaker's son in that movie. But let me see. Uh, film. Uh, the Butler Lewis Gaines. Yeah, I think that was his son, wasn't it? See, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he's also the the school principal in Interstellar, from what I'm looking at here. Which is oh, kind of hilarious. I didn't even realize that. Man, That's this true. Has, this guy has an impressive filmography that I haven't noticed until I saw him in this in this film. He's also apparently in a most violent year, which I have not caught up with. But yeah, I saw uh, that too. Yeah, I didn't see the movie yet, but I saw that uh, this credit in that movie. But I mean, for he for Selma, he gives a career defining performance. And I mean, it's like while well, the marches, this, you know, the the Alabama marches are common knowledge. You know, I I learned about that in school. I learned it like in second grade. What you don't hear about every day are the doubts in himself that Dr. King had, whether this would work. He, he would feel like he was doing more harm than good by putting, you know, the people in danger than actually accomplishing anything, which that got explored in the film. Because you don't really hear about that every day. That was refreshing to me. And, uh, you know, how the people, like, they believed in him enough, and it helped sway him to keep going, keep marching on. And uh, that's what was great about it. And... Another performance, you know, Tim Roth just breathed asshole as Governor Wallace. Like, he came off – a lot of people kind of criticized his performance, but to me, I thought he, he had the accent down, and it, he just came off – he just breathed douchebag and asshole. So that was great about it, too. No, he was, but he it, was great. He was great. Yeah. Um, Tom Wilkins was great as LBJ. Uh, it, it was – I mean, it, it, it honestly is kind of ridiculous that this movie didn't get more nominations than it did. No, I, I, I really is. Like, I know I said last, you know, oh, it's competitive, but you know what? This is right up there. This is one of the best films of the year, and it's really kind of odd that it didn't get as much. Regardless of the competition, it, it should have gotten more. Um, but, but yeah, I, to your point, I really did enjoy the fact, like, whenever he was clear, like, the character, quote-unquote, the character of Dr. King was... Uh, struggling with some of his decisions because he like on the one hand he he didn't necessarily want people to suffer but on the other hand he knew that you know not to put it uh, too lightly you know that you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs right like he knew that some that there had to be high profile uh incidents for anything to get changed for the greater good and like it showed it depicted that struggle really well yeah, but essentially it came down to this is a story about not just, you know, the struggles, but this is about strategy because like, yeah, the, whole right, yeah. film basic, the whole film basically built to the showdown on the bridge. And, you know, it, this was, you know, a national event. This was a showdown in front of the cameras. This was a showdown in front of, like, you know, the townspeople, you know, and then it's basically like what would, you know, the Alabama cops do when these uh, – African-American peaceful protesters were marching down, were they going to just give in or were they going to let their prejudice just rise to the surface? And it's just another, another uh, event like that's important when talking about bringing up the civil rights movement and how I also liked how that the speech at the end, the King's victory speech at the, at the town hall, I believe it was breathtaking uh, kind of gave me goosebumps. And it kind of also illustrated how, even though this was a victory for them and we still have, a long way to go, I think, as far as realizing his work and whether his work is actually, you know, working. I don't know how else to put it, but that's basically, you know, what's going on now. Again, just kind of a just a beautiful, just kind of a beautiful film. It should have just 
Uh, I really did enjoy pretty much. I mean, the only thing, if I if I want to give it a little bit of a criticism, it's that um, it did, you know, have it did kind of have a couple of the traditional beats of of the traditional biopic film as far as like, you know, here's where the inspiration comes in. Here's where he, you know, he questions himself. Here's, you know, what I mean, had a couple of those beats, but it, it didn't. It was it was fine because it was such it was so well crafted and so well acted. That it didn't bother me. Yeah, definitely something, a film that, like, if I were a history teacher, I would screen this to my history class because this was it's something, you know, on that level, I think. And I don't know if they did the same thing in your area, but in my area, on the Dr. King Day, like, they let students in for free to see this movie. So that was, that was kind of cool. And uh, I guess well, with that, we can wrap up Selma, and then we can move on to our next uh, film, which is also a biopic, uh, The Theory of Everything. So, uh, Adolfo, what's Theory of Everything about. Now, Theory of Everything is a, is a biopic um, in in the more traditional sense where it tells more of the life story of, uh, of uh, in this case, Stephen Hawking. Now, it doesn't start when he's a child. It starts, he's in college um, and, uh, or actually, but he's in graduate school uh, and he's w- working on his postdoc. It, 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 he, he already has, you can tell he already has the, um, it's uh, ALS, I believe, uh, it, they don't really make a big deal out of it at first, but just here and there they show you little shots of him being a little, you know, clumsy. He's a little, you know, whatever. Uh, and then as the film goes on, obviously, about, what, 20, 30 minutes into the film, you find out that he has this motor neuron disease. Um, and it's the story of his relationship with his first wife, uh, Jane. Uh, and it, as it progresses, it just goes, it, it, sh- it, it parallels, you know, his relationship with his first wife as well as his work. Uh, in in uh, theoretical physics, and it just kind of I mean that's there's not much to it after that not, as far as the plot goes it continues on with uh, with his life story until until I think it climaxes with his knighthood that he eventually it's actually not really a knight because he refused the the knighthood but I think that's where it climaxes um, right. and, uh, 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 that's really where it ends it really climaxes with the publishing of his book. Um, but this is a kind of a while, while it is a little more traditional biopic uh, in the sense that it tells a longer story or uh, covers stories over a longer period of time. Uh, I didn't mind it because it was so well done, uh, especially Eddie Redmayne. Uh, and we were talking earlier about the ridiculous nature of of the competition in, in acting this year. But Eddie Redmayne was, if it wasn't for Michael Keaton, uh, Michael Keaton's comeback story, you know. Uh, Eddie Redmayne would get this Oscar, and he might even deserve it over, over Michael Keaton. But the problem is, is that, you know, the Oscars at the end of the day have little to do with. I shouldn't say little to do, but it's not all about talent. It's not all about art. It's sometimes it's about what is the best story, and the best story this year is Michael Keaton. So I, that's why I don't think Eddie Redmayne's getting it. That said, it, it, he was. I mean, he was amazing in this film. And especially when you when you consider that about halfway through he loses the ability to speak, so the rest of the movie he's essentially you're essentially relying on the fact that he's acting through his body language. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing that makes. See, I don't think I have as much love for this film as you do. To me, it's it's a very pleasing film to watch, but it's quickly forgotten. Other than Eddie Redmayne's performance as as Doctor Hawking, I mean. As magnificent as it was, it 
still didn't have me talking about it like Michael Keane's performance in Birdman. However, that's the only thing, that's the lasting impression that it's left on me. Not, nothing about, nothing else about the film except just the nuances that he did. Like once he, you saw in the film, he was starting to go through like the ALS and started to get the symptoms little by little. He was starting to slur speech. He couldn't move his arms. Then it got to the point at the end where he was just communicating through his looks and his gazes. And you knew exactly what he was trying to say. And it's masterful acting, perfection of the craft. And uh, I, I saw Richard Roper's review of this movie, and he, he called it a cross between A Beautiful Mind and My Left Foot, which I found hilarious because he's kind of on, on the money there. That's pretty but on also, point, yeah. Yeah. But also, uh, Felicity Jones is great, too, and she looks stunning, by the way. She definitely got my new blood rising. But to me, if, if I'm going to nitpick, everything just seems too polished as far as the story goes. Because if you want to look up the real story, it's really not as fairy tale-ish as the film portrays. Even though there are, there are like darker aspects to it, it kind of takes it easy and kind of shakes the story or keeps the story, I should say, in a in a lighter a lighter tone as opposed to what really happened. But uh, yeah, I mean, this reminds me of something. You know, if 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 Stephen Hawking was, um, if Stephen Hawking was, you know, born fifty years earlier, right? Uh, this is the kind of movie that would. This is the kind of biopic that would have been made in the 1940s, right? It, it's not really super challenging, you know, and it's not. It, it's pretty, like you said, it's pretty polished. It's not, um, you know, it has a happy ending. You know, it, it, it's not. I don't want to say there's no challenges to the to the to the protagonist because obviously he has motor neuron disease, um, but it, it's not. You're not. I don't know how to explain it, but you're never thinking that it's it's not going to turn out okay for him. If that makes sense, even though he has motor neuron yeah. disease, you know, it, you know that like things will work out in the end. Um, but the thing is, is that despite that, um, the film survives on its on its acting, much like the one of the other films we're going to talk about here today. The film relies on its acting, and its and its acting is amazing. Um, but the rest of the film is just pretty traditional filmmaking. Yeah, and that's what's making it kind of hard for me to recommend it. I mean, if you're going to see it, you're going to see it because of Eddie Redmond's performance. That's like on on that alone, I can recommend it, but then just everything else about it, I mean, I don't know. See, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it because it's not like it's a bad film. It's 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 a very good film. It's just... When you compare it to see, and, I, and here's the thing: I don't necessarily think it should be up for best picture. Um, but when you compare it to a lot of the other films that came out this year, and this was kind of an exceptionally good year, um, it just it doesn't quite meet. It's not as far as the filmmaking goes. The filmmaking doesn't do anything new. It's just kind of a traditional biopic, exactly. and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's really just you really watch this film for the for the acting performances. So I would still recommend it absolutely because I think people would, uh, mo- I'd say the average person out there would certainly enjoy this film um, because it's you know it's inspirational, it has great acting in it, and you know it's it's effectively told. It's just it's not a groundbreaking film as far. I was going to say yeah, a, a, you know something that kind of like an ideal best picture nominee is a, is a film that kind of is groundbreaking. It takes more risks, but this one didn't really take many risks. And in that light, I feel that there's really no lasting impression other than the one performance by Eddie Redmayne. Like, I didn't really think about this film as much as I did about, let's say, Birdman or Selma or even American Sniper. 
No, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's a little unfair to say it's a lasting impression because I think Eddie Redmayne's performance and Felicity Jones's performance, for that matter, I think keep this movie alive. And, and, and I think, you know, I, for, for people who are more traditional moviegoers, I would recommend this movie in a second. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's a very well-crafted, well-made movie. It's just, I just don't necessarily think it's best picture material. Would, would bland be a fair adjective? Or no, I wouldn't think bland. Not bland fair seems harsh. I think bland seems harsh. I think because it's, it's not bland, it's just it's just traditional. It's just traditional storytelling. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's probably not something that I'll watch again after the Best Picture Showcase, but, I mean, like I said, if you're going to catch it, it's going to be because of Eddie Redmayne because he is absolutely phenomenal in it. So definitely for, for that alone, you know, Check it out, even though I probably won't be the first one to recommend it over other Best Picture nominees. Okay, so uh, that's the of everything. Now we move on to another, uh, not not really a biopic, but this film is based on true events. Kind of chilling, actually. It's called uh, Foxcatcher with uh, Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, and Mark Ruffalo. I believe Mark Ruffalo is up for the uh, Best Actor nomination. Is it Best Supporting Actor, I think? And then Steve no, he's, he's up for actor. Best Supporting. Yeah, Ruffalo's up for Supporting, and Carell's up for Best Actor. Right. So uh, basically, I mean, just in a nutshell, this film follows uh, Mark Schultz. It's actually based on Mark Schultz's uh, autobiography, but it is not his entire autobiography. It just takes a snippet of it, and that's where the film Foxcatcher comes from. Basically, you have Mark Schultz, who is an Olympic gold medalist, with his brother, uh, Dave Schultz. And you kind of, in the, the beginning of the film, you kind of see him kind of struggling to leave. You know, as an Olympic gold medalist, you kind of expect you know, endorsements to be, you know, at least keep them afloat, but he's eating ramen noodles, living in like this shack of a of an apartment, I guess. Or he's living in a house like that's above uh, an apartment or something like that. But you kind of see him struggling, even though, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a national hero. People would call him a national hero. And all of a sudden he gets a, a mysterious phone call one day to come to a, uh, he gets called to John DuPont's estate, and he tells them how, he wants to start an Olympic wrestling team because he, he believes that America has lost its way and the, the country needs real heroes, and he feels that Mark Schultz is someone he can he, the people can look up to because well, of his on. athletic accomplishments. Hold on. It's not that he wants to start an Olympic wrestling team. It's that he wants to fund the Olympic wrestling team. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been like a month or so since I've seen it, so kind of, I'm a little fuzzy on the details. And that's where the story takes off. So for me... Very chilling film, almost too chilling to actually like love. I think it, it's kind of weird for me to say that, but it's it's almost too chilling to to me to like really really enjoy. I mean, it's basically an actor's showcase. Steve Carell is almost unrecognizable as John Dupont. I mean, he's basically the rich and only guy who can't buy happiness. That's what it boils down to. But he plays it just so well and so uniquely. It's, he's the comedy guy, but you don't see that at all in in, in this movie. It's just it's very very unrecognizable. Very against type too. But a uh, very dreary, dreary uh, excuse me, very dreary looking color palette. I mean, the only time bright colors are used are doing like the wrestling matches, like you know the colorful uniforms and all that. But then other than that, it's very, very dreary looking. The rest of the film, especially on the the season on the Dupont estate, um, this should put the Channing Tatum doubters out of their misery finally, because to me, he should have been right up there getting the nominations with Mark Ruffalo. In fact, I. I feel that maybe he should have gotten it over Ruffalo for best supporting actor. I don't know about you. Uh, 
Well, well, it wouldn't be supporting because technically he was the lead actor in that film. Um, actually, it's odd to me that that Carell is is in a lead actor category because he's a supporting character. The main character is Channing Tatum to me, um, so he should be the lead. But I will I, I will agree that he was excellent in this film. Um, he actually off the, the three main characters: Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, Steve Carell. Um, again, much like um, Theory of Everything, this is. Uh, this is a better acting movie than it is a you know movie movie. Uh, it, it, except, that, you know, Channing Tatum, I, I has been dismissed as a pretty boy so much that like it's I, I don't get when you see him in movies like this. You know, it wasn't a surprise for me, but he was excellent in this film, um, and so was Mark Ruffalo, so was Steve Carell. Uh, but I have a you're right. It's such a dreary film. It's hard for me. This one is definitely hard for me to recommend. Like, I, I wouldn't think twice about recommending Theory of Everything because it's such a traditional film that I think most people would end up enjoying it. Whereas Foxcatcher is just, it's somber, it's dreary, it's really kind of messed up, you know, and it's all based on true story. Although I will say that the, they got the details wrong. Um, I, I, I used to be a wrestler in high school, and I was a wrestler in high school around the time that this story happened. Um, but they got the details way off. The, they weren't training for the 1988 Olympics. They were training for the 1996 Olympics when this all went down. And, uh, you know, pro wrestler Kurt Angle was in, uh, in Team Foxcatcher when all this happened. So this was for no 96. I, yeah, I don't know why they, 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 they shifted the time back to the 80s for some reason, which, I mean, think about, think about how this makes sense. Uh, at one point, they're watching, you know, like UFC or something, and UFC didn't exist in the 80s. And, they were, and like after this whole thing went down, Mark Schultz went on to be a, like an MMA fighter. But MMA was not a thing in the 80s. It, was a thing in the, it started in the mid-90s. So that this, is, it, this, was way, like, this was way off. The, the, the timeline was way off. I don't know why they did that. Um, I'm not exactly sure why they decided to do that, but regardless. Um, the film is um, – what, what I actually really appreciate about the film is that as far as the wrestling aspect of it goes – it got it a 100% dead on. Like that scene when he's at the, I think it's the Olympic trials, and he, you know, he, he fails, you know, uh, he loses a first-round match, and he goes out and he, he kind of feels a little bit of self-destruction uh, and, and starts, like, eating and, and he gains a lot of weight, and he, has to, and he has to, you know, work it off before the next match. That's 100% accurate. That's how, that's how it works. Uh, you know, the, before wrestling meets, if you're not, if you don't make weight, before the official weigh-in, you have to do torturous, torturous exercise until you just sweat it off, and you wear like bag, like garbage bags over yourself, and put sweats on top of that, and just do completely uh, torturous exercise just to sweat it off. I mean, that whole and that that mentality, the mentality of both uh, Mark Schultz and Dave Schultz, uh, in, uh, that they completely got that 100% dead right. Um, but again, the film survives. On Steve Carell, it survives on Channing Tatum and it survives on Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it, it's a, kind of a fascinating movie, but I don't, I don't know if I would have given you know Bennett Miller the director uh, nomination. I don't, I don't know if it's among the best of the year. It, it's, it's certainly I applaud its ambition, and I, and again, I'm very in tune with the subject matter, and because I knew the story because it was a big story for people who are wrestling back then, but it's. It, it's just a hard recommend to me. It's a hard recommend. I think for, 
I think people who like, you know, you know, analyze and critique film like you and I do would maybe appreciate some of its points, um, but certainly not for the average moviegoer. Now, I mean, I didn't hear about this story at all until I saw the movie. Now, you kind of being around the wrestling scene, also, like that you were saying, was this something that you knew about? I think you lived in Pennsylvania also at, at this point, right? Uh, yes, I, although I wasn't near that that compound at all. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, uh, like, but, like I'm sure, like you, I'm sure it, it made like big local news in Pennsylvania. Like I don't remember seeing anything about it like here, but I was like, I don't know, like I don't, nine, ten years old, so I couldn't, I probably couldn't remember it. But I don't I remember don't, hearing anything like that. I don't necessarily remember it being. I didn't hear about it on the news. I heard about it essentially because our coach set us down and told us like. Hey, I'm not sure how many of you guys know this, but you know this happened recently, and you know, and then I saw, I remember seeing the news after that, after he had told us about it, because you know our coaches were trying to tell us about the importance of of the Schultz legacy and how how accomplished the wrestler he was, and he was, you know, he was he was a legend, you know, uh, Dave Schultz was a legend, still is I should say, uh, and he was like one of the greatest wrestlers ever. I think he is now in the uh, the Wrestling Hall of Fame, but not the pro wrestling, obviously, the, the, <laughs> the NCAA or whatever it is, Hall of Fame. Um, but, yeah, it, it was – so I, I knew the, some of this. So it's odd to me. It still seems weird to me that they switched it to 1988. It, it just seems so weird. You know what I think it is? Because I think by the time the 96 Olympics rolled around, Mark Schultz I don't even think was an active wrestler. Um so I don't even think he was if he was on the compound, but I think that they wanted to tell the story of Mark Schultz being on the compound and right. Dave Schultz getting killed. So they kind of truncated the story to take around take it take place around the '88 Olympics. But Dave Schultz was here's why I know this is because Dave Schultz was killed uh, roughly bef- like, like only a few months before the '96 Olympics, and. And actually, one thing they didn't put in the movie, which I'm kind of surprised it didn't, because it's kind of fascinating as well, is that after DuPont, you know, killed him, there was a police shootout at the compound. Like the cops came, and there was like a dr- very dramatic. You know, he had all these guns, and he was like shooting at cops and stuff. Like it was a dramatic sh- uh, standoff between the cops and DuPont. So it's odd to me that I mean he was still arrested in the end. I mean he didn't get shot or like he was arrested. Right. And it, but but it's odd to me that they didn't include that. But um, anyway, I, I digress. That happened only a few months before, and then uh, the Olympic wrestling team then had to only with a few months left before the Olympics had to figure out how they were going to fund themselves because now their their uh, their patron was in jail. He was in prison, so they and that it, the U.S. Olympic wrestling team was in danger of not being able to compete at the Olympics that year. So, I mean, that that's I I, I know all this happened in '96, so I don't understand why they just truncated it, but whatever. Right, but and for those interested, I I, I mean, uh, I mean, we're pro wrestling fans. I actually have the uh, the Kurt Angle shoot interview that he did with uh, with RF Video, and there's a video on YouTube of a, a portion of that uh, interview where Kurt Angle talks about Dave Schultz and then the John DuPont box catcher thing. I just found that out on YouTube when I was just searching for it. So if anybody's interested, just type in Kurt Angle box catcher on Google and you get the video, Kurt Angle on the murder of Dave Schultz by John DuPont. So that's kind of interesting too, if anybody's yep. interested in getting yeah, his take on it. Kurt Angle, uh, who went out to win the gold medal that year, uh, was, was on the compound. Um, I'm not sure if he was on the compound during the 
that whenever uh, Schultz was killed or not, but he was training with Team Foxcatcher, uh, and they had to... I believe what happened was Dave Schultz's wife set up a... Like, his widow set up a fund, like a like a charitable uh, fund that people could donate to, and that's how the Olympic team, how they went to the Olympics. Um, but, yeah, that, that, it, that was one of the... That was one of the um, consequences of, 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 of that. It was that the Olympic wrestling team was in great danger of not being able to go that year. Wow. That's yeah, I kind of want to read more about that. This is, you know, it, it, it's, it's gaining my interest. But just kind of to put a pin on the film, Foxcatcher, like Nightcrawler, to me, it's a very exceptional film that's very uncomfortable to witness and which made it more chilling, I think, than Nightcrawler because it's actually a true story. And the second half of the film in particular has a very uncomfortable atmosphere, which kind of you know, crescendos in the, in the film's climax. But see, the thing with me as far as recommending the film is that with Fear of Everything, it's, you know, there's one exceptional performance in it, which is Eddie Redmayne. This film has three exceptional performances, in my opinion. So that's why, for me, it's a little easier to recommend it, despite being a very gloomy, very uh, uncomfortable film to watch as far as with the, the content. But that's the difference between those two films in that this has three great exceptional performances compared to the one in the other film. Okay, so uh, that will wrap up Foxcatcher. And uh, we have two more films to go, and none of them are Oscar-nominated, um, unless Hobbit is for, like, one of the technical awards. I'm not sure. But, it does uh, have a technical to... award. It is? Yeah, the, I've, um, probably, like, sound editing or something like that. Right, but uh, we'll get to that right now. Now, I have not seen Battle of the Five Armies, so I'm going to let you take the right on this, Adolfo. So uh, is this final chapter in the Hobbit films worth it uh i mean it's fine <laughs> um I, I don't i don't even know if we can get into much of a plot it's it's it takes place immediately after the desolation of smog they um if you watch the desolation of smog it ends with the the cliffhanger of smog about to attack lake town um and it starts at that point with smog attacking lake town and they pretty much within the first 15 minutes just kind of resolve that and then it's all about uh, the, the the dwarves hiding themselves in the um, in the in the old dwarf kingdom with all this treasure that Smog had had you know taken for himself. They have now this treasure, and they are being uh, they're being paranoid that everybody else is going to come get to them. And the elves come, and the humans come, and orcs come, and there's a battle of five armies, and then that's the rest of the movie is just a giant battle sequence, um, and. It, I don't even know why it's called The Hobbit at that point, because The Hobbit himself <laughs> is barely in it. It's more of a story about Thorin, the, the, lead, the lead dwarf. Uh, it's more of a lo- there's more of emphasis on the love story with uh, Legolas and Toriel and um, Keeley. Uh, it, it's more, I mean, it's just, these films, you know, I, we can harp on it as much. We've harped on it before, but he just did not need to be three movies. It was such a ridiculous example of of greedy, you know, uh, of Hollywood studio corporate greed that just didn't need to be made. It, it, they put so much padding in these movies that it was just you lost. I mean, the main character isn't even the main character anymore because he's just lost in the shuffle, and you have. 13 freaking dwarves and you really only know what three of them are doing. You don't even know what the other you don't even know the names of the other ones. 
I mean, that's kind of ridiculous that in three three-hour movies, so in nine hours, you can't tell me a little bit more about some of those dwarves. It's just kind of, I don't know. It, it Look, if you like the Hobbit movies, if you like Lord of the Rings, you'll enjoy this. It's a it's a very it's a fun fantasy movie. It, don't get me wrong, the battle sequence, the the huge battle sequence is is a lot of fun. But I just have to go back to criticizing the entire project of making it three films. It just doesn't make any sense, and it's completely unnecessary. Regardless of the fact that it was entertaining, it was just, you know, there's a there's something out there called the um, the fan edit of The Hobbit, where they take the three films and then made one four-hour film out of it. Nice. Now, if you have the wherewithal and the resources, you can find this pretty easily online. Uh, it's completely 100% not legal to do this. <laughs> but uh, I kind of am interested to see uh, what what this person did. Uh, to, to I know that apparently he did take out the love, the, the love triangle, which was completely unnecessary anyway, and was not even in the books. So I'm glad they did that. Uh, and they took out a lot of the, the stuff with Gandalf going off and uh, with, with the with Radagast the Brown and, the, and, and Saruman and all that stuff because that was not in the books. Or I should say that was not in The Hobbit. I think it was in The uh, Similarian, which is a completely different thing altogether. Um, and Because in The Hobbit, in The Hobbit book, Gandalf just disappears for a while and then he comes back. And that's apparently how he's treating it in in, in these series of films. Like, and I guess the Similarian, uh, that's they just explain what he's up to, and then they folded that into these movies. And it's like, you know what? We didn't need that. We didn't need any of that. You really now, don't. Now, is, is it fair to say? Because I have a coworker who's a pretty big Tolkien head, and he's kind of joking around, but he basically described it as if you just take like the first half of the first Hobbit film and then take the third movie and combine them, that's pretty much what was in the book and the rest is just padding. But I don't know how you feel about that. Is that really what it was? Here's what I remember. I'm not, see, I'm not sure if you, you saw the first two films, right? Yes. Okay. So here's what I remember from the book. Here's everything I remember from the book. The dwarves come and get Bilbo uh, to bring him on an adventure. That, then they meet the three trolls um, and you know they get turned to stone. Then uh, I forget what happens, but then there is then there's Bilbo and and um, Gollum in the cave where Bilbo finds a ring. That then there is I forget what happens after that, but then there's the barrel ride where they're they're all in the barrels escaping the the you know escaping the barrels on the river. Then they're then they're in Lake Town um, briefly. And then they fight Smog, or the, you know, Bilbo encounters Smog, and then there's the stuff at the end with the with the battle, and then that's it. So I mean, that might be more than one movie, but there's I mean, there's so much other crap they stuffed in there that just didn't yeah. need to be there, and it just bloated it. And you know, it, it's well done, it's very well produced, and but you know, with let me put you this way: when you watch the first Lord of the Rings trilogy. You knew who everybody was. You knew, uh-huh. even though the Fellowship, and I may have brought this up last show, the Fellowship, you knew all, there were nine of them, but you knew who all of them were. You knew what their personalities were like. You knew what they were up to. You knew, you know, they all got split up at one point, and you knew which, what each one was doing at what, at what specific point, you know. But with this, it's just, there's so much going on. 
and you know, even for someone who read the books, I'm like, wait, who's this guy again? What was he doing? You know, and that's not that's not it's not good. This was essentially someone gave Peter Jackson several hundred million dollars to essentially do what he's always wanted to do without really wondering if he should do it. <laughs> like, I am not going to begrudge the man. He did a great job with the Lord of the Rings movies. He did a fantastic job with those movies. Yep. Um, but he did, he bloated these movies with too much stuff. And maybe some of it was the studio going, hey, maybe we can uh, split these out so that we can get more money out of them. Maybe some of that was, the, and then he put that stuff in there, whatever. The, the point is, is that the end result is too long. It's just way too long. Well, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to checking out this last installment, and then when the inevitable extended edition three-movie box set comes out, I will be picking that up as well, and then complete my uh, Lord of the Rings collection here. So now, now I wonder so what we could possibly add to the uh, the extended editions. You know, um, I'm sure they're just extra scenes of other stuff that you know. Here, <laughs> I don't know. That but, are also not. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want you to think that it's a bad. It's a, it's a fine movie. It's a lot of fun. There's there there's Lots of cool fighting and, and magic and, and all sorts of cool fantasy stuff. It's just I, I, I just find myself com- just going back and grumbling about the entire trilogy, the entire trilogy as opposed to uh, that this one film. The film itself, by itself, is entertaining. It could have still been shorter because even that one film was too long. But it's entertaining and it's fun to watch. Awesome, man. Definitely going to check that out uh, real soon. But... uh now, kind of shifting gears from a film that you saw that I didn't to a film that I saw that you didn't is uh, Big Eyes, which was completely snubbed from the Academy Awards this year, despite uh, Amy Adams winning uh, the Best Actress Award in Comedy or Musical at that, at that show. So uh, anyway, as far as the plot goes, very simple. Uh, it deals with the true story of the Big Eyes paintings that were painted by Margaret Keene, who's played by Amy Adams in this movie, and how for years her husband Walter Keene, which is played by the god Christoph Waltier, took the credit. And pretty straightforward, it takes off from there. But the first thing I, uh, I thought about uh, watching this movie progress was it's a Tim Burton film, but yet there were no twisty trees, which I felt, you know, you kind of, <laughs> I love bringing up the twisty trees, but there was none here. So that was kind of strange for a, for a Tim Burton film, but. Uh, on a more serious note, <laughs> this film is essentially the Christoph Waltz show. I mean, the God steals every scene he is in, and it's kind of unfair to Amy Adams because even though she gives a great performance, if unexceptional in my opinion, she is completely overshadowed by Waltz and his greatness. And I didn't think it was like their their acting styles weren't were uneven when they were on screen together, and thus Christoph Waltz really hammed it up kind of leaving Amy Adams in the dust. So how she got the Golden Globe, I really don't know. I don't know. But uh, it was an, also a nice change of pace for Tim Byrne as it kind of explored the story of an artist that's so obviously influenced, influenced Burton's own work in animation, which is it's a labor of love. And you can tell he's having fun exploring the, the kitsch uh, of it all. Uh, I also got to bring up Terrence Stamp and Jason Schwartzman, who will shine in their minor roles in the film as the art critic and the gallery owner, respectively. In fact, the scenes with Terrence Stamp and Christoph Waltz together are some of the best in the film, because they really go at each other there. But uh, everything about it, from the color palette use to the look of the sets, well, as beautiful as it looks, seems like right out of a painting. There's this, uh, 
there's this artificiality about it that keeps it in tune with the plot of the movie. And uh, also the plot feels kind of incomplete because the thing is, even though it's a story about Margaret Keene, you don't really get a sense of Margaret Keene's motivation for staying with Walter for so long. Like they try to make it seem like he was out of fear. Like apparently they alluded to some like mob connections that Walter had, which I don't know how true that is, but in the end, it's never quite clear. Like you kind of get to the point where you don't know why she's even staying with him. You know, they they kind of allude to fear, but it's never really like outright said, which kind of bothers and kind of makes the film incomplete. If you want the real story, there's a great piece that USA Today did with Margaret Keene where she kind of uh, patches the holes in the in the film. Uh, overall, very entertaining film, but other than Waltz, there's nothing to really write home about. And on him alone, I would also recommend the film, even though it's kind of a departure from traditional Tim Burton fair if you're a Tim Burton fan. Like, it's made along the style of, of Ed Wood was. And I think Ed, Ed Wood is a great film. But, I mean, it's another kind of, it's a great film, great way to spend two hours, but albeit kind of unexceptional. Um. Well, first of all, I will say that he has made movies about t- twisty trees before, like Ed Wood. There were no twisty trees in Ed Wood. Just saying. Weren't there like this when he was filming the the cemetery scenes for uh, Plan Nine? Didn't they have twisty trees? Yeah, but he was recreating for the Plan Nine stuff. You know. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's true, but I, I mean, but there were still twisty trees. So you get Plan Nine. <laughs> that is what I would want to see. I want to see Meryl Streep in a remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but, like, n- no updates. Like, literally the same script, literally the same kind of, like, cheap sets, you know, same kind of costumes, same camera angles, like like a shot-for-shot remake like they did with Psycho, like a shot-for-shot remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space, but with Meryl Streep starring in it. Bro, that and if you guys nominate for it, that that just revealed the joke is the Academy, wouldn't it? <laughs> That'd but be anyway, hilarious too. Sorry, I, I totally derailed uh, what we were talking about. Uh, I, I didn't see Big Eyes. Um, it, it was, you know, I got to be honest. The the trailers didn't do anything for me, and I just never was compelled to go see it. But you would recommend it? Yes, I, I would personally because it, it's a very entertaining film. And then just to see Christoph Waltz do what he does best. I mean, that alone, I mean, I just love the guy. He's just, he's so great at what he does. So it's just unfortunate, though, that he kind of does it, overdoes it, and it kind of overshadows Amy Adams. And it kind of makes her performance look bland, you know, probably by no fault of his own, but it's just how it came across. That's why I was shocked when she won the Golden Globe, because I figured, you know, she wasn't really given a chance to really show what she can do, but yet she still won for that performance. So I didn't really understand that, but that was just me. Anyway... Uh, I think we're done with our reviews for now. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and now we're going to do uh, continue our tradition here on the show. Like right before the Oscars, we're going to give our top – I think we gave our top five last time. This time we're going to give our top ten films of 2014. Now, we're not going to get into reviews for films we haven't talked about. We'll just you know, give a couple comments here and there, and then, you know, that'll be that. But the way we can do it is I'll give my number ten, then you give your number ten, and then we'll keep going until we, we finish. But uh, okay. before we start, I want to give my honorable mentions, like the films I really wanted to include on this list, but there was just 10 other films that I felt deserved the spots, and those include uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Theory of Everything, Foxcatcher, Frank, which is, you know, Michael Fassbender, great film. I don't know if you ever get, if you ever get a chance to see it, see it, because it's, it's just phenomenal. Uh, Selma, The Lego Movie, Chef, Life Itself, Interstellar, 
St. Vincent and Captain America, the Winter Soldier, as well as the Bombers. In fact, if there was an 11 and 12 slot, I would put those two films in as 11 and 12 because those were such great films. Now, right now, this is an incomplete list. I'll put the full list up when I put up my, uh, my list again the night before the Oscars, which I usually tend to do. So uh, do you have any honorable mentions? I do have a few honorable mentions here. Um, my honorable mentions include Theory of Everything, Chef, John Wick, Foxcatcher, uh, The Guest, which is a movie I'm not sure if you've watched yet, but not I love yet. The Guest, um, The Babadook, Enemy, Snowpiercer, X-Men Days of Future Past, Captain America, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Edge of Tomorrow, <laughs> your favorite movie of the year, Under the Skin. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Uh, Ida, which is nominated for Best Foreign uh, Language Picture, and the Lego Movie. Uh, I also now, those are all excellent films, and so which tells you like how good the the 2014 was for movies. I would also like to point out that I did not include doc, like this was all like straightforward narrative movies, so I didn't include Life Itself in my top ten because of documentary, but uh, the, uh, honorable mention for Life Itself as well. Well, a lot of great films this year, pretty exceptional year, but. Now, what made our top ten? Well, my number ten film for 2014 is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. We reviewed it on uh, episode 50 of Force Perspective, and, I mean, we just gushed all about, like, the great story. Andy Serkis is amazing, and uh, certainly one, one of the better films this year. Oh, I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It just didn't quite make my, my top ten. My number ten, though, is a movie we did not talk about. And it's called The Raid 2. Have you ever seen the, the original Raid? I've seen the original Raid. I haven't gone around to see part two yet. Raid 2, just a, couple, just a quick couple comments about it. Maybe we can talk about it in, more in depth in a future show. Is the same kind of balls out action, but this time with an actual plot. So it takes, you know, it, it, the, the first movie was, was more kind of like a video game where, you know, he's going to different levels and fighting different bosses, essentially, right? This film is not that. This film takes that concept of, of this guy who can do ridiculous martial arts and then puts it into a movie, in, into like the, the plot of The Departed. So it's, he, he's an undercover agent uh, inside the mob, and, then as this, and it's actually a, a very detailed plot and how he gets close to you know some of the some of the mob members and everything like that, and then you know there's awesome fight scenes throughout the film, and then it just all blows up at the end with an enormous just fight scene. And two, I think three of the uh, characters from the film, including the main character, are going to be in the uh, upcoming Star Wars Episode Seven, which I think is awesome. Nice. So that is uh, awesome. When you get a chance, watch the raid two. It's absolutely insanely good. Well, the next four I want to get a chance to, to see, but like once the Oscars are done with and all that, I want to I do. I have the guests already rented. I just haven't watched it yet. I want to see uh, Enemy. I want to see this one, and then now I have the four. Oh, Snowpiercer. That's on Netflix now, I think. So I want to find time to see that one as well. I, I really struggled not, with not putting Snowpiercer and Enemy on. It's it just those. I really love both those movies, but I. It's just my top ten is already pretty stacked. I didn't. They'd be in my top fifteen or twenty, but I. I really love those movies. They just didn't make it. But uh, now moving on to number nine. My number nine for 2014 is Wild. Now, I believe Reese Witherspoon is nominated for Best Actress for Wild. Uh, I just, I was completely engrossed in this movie. It's just such an, an amazing, amazing story. Um, just, you know, very quickly, it's about, uh, it's an autobiographical film about, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Uh, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the book about her hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. And you intersperse the hiking scenes with like kind of 
the, the backstory to her, her motivations for actually wanting to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, you see, it, it, it takes very dark turns, and you see kind of like the struggle that she was dealing with in her life. And you, you find out she's kind of a piece-of-shit person, but she's kind of trying to use this uh, hike to kind of redeem herself and to kind of prove, like, you know, her, her ex and her naysayers kind of wrong. But, you know, just stand-up performance by Reese Witherspoon. She deserves any praise she gets for it. And it's certainly one that had me, had me talking afterward. That is not a movie that I've caught up with yet, so uh, I'm looking forward to it, uh, to checking it out, especially uh, before the Oscars come, because I know she's she is nominated for Best Picture. Or, I'm sorry, for Best uh, Actress. Uh, I will say, before I go, uh, say my, mention my number nine, um, there are two kind of, uh, in addition to Wild, there are two prominent movies that I have not seen, so if you don't hear me mention them, it's not a diss to those movies. I just haven't seen them yet and that is American Sniper and The Imitation Game. I have not seen those two movies. I know that they're um, you know, both nominated for Oscars, and they're both you know, high-profile. just haven't seen them. That's why they haven't made my list. Um, but my number nine is a movie we went into great depth into, so I'm not going to go into uh, much more depth into it right now uh, because we, we did an entire show almost, almost dedicated to this movie, and that's Interstellar. Uh, Interstellar, surprisingly, um, a surprisingly moving movie for me uh and one of the great sci-fi movies of the year and i think that despite all the you know people who kind of you know and it wasn't poorly reviewed but the people who were kind of expecting the normal chris nolan stuff and that were disappointed when they saw interstellar i think this movie will will stand the test of time in the years to come yeah i really wanted to put interstellar in the top 10 but like with, with I, I kind of wrestled with that too that one with babadoo with captain america but it's like you know, my uh, my top ten, I kind of, I, I love the top ten films that are actually made my list, so I kind of had no room for it, so I had to put it as honorable mention. But uh, moving on, my number eight film of 2014 is Birdman. I mean, Michael Keaton, what else could be said? The great directing style, uh, Inuyatsu, I mean, just great film all around. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, and that will be coming up a little later on my list. Uh, my number eight is my my blockbuster choice, my fun choice, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, we can't really speak any more than we've already spoken about this movie. This is just the most fun I've had at the movies all year. That will come up a little later on my list as well. But uh, uh, my number seven film of 2014 moving on is Nightcrawler. We did a whole show on Interstellar. We did a whole show on Nightcrawler and just how nuanced Jake Gyllenhaal's performance was, as perfect as it was. Uh, what else can be said about it? It's my number seven. I think it comes out in a couple of weeks on Blu-ray. That's a, a day one buy for me. It's an excellent film. Uh, my number seven, we talked about it on this show, but Selma. Selma is my number seven movie of the year. Uh, again, great look at the Dr. King's uh, you know, work for the Selma March. And you know, just rewind and listen to what I said about it earlier in the show, but that's my number seven. All right. All right, moving on my number six film. Gone Girl. We talked about Gone Girl on this show, David Fincher's exceptional directing. In my Oscars, Rosamund Pike would win Best Actress. She's probably not going to win. We're going to get to that a little bit later on. But Gone Girl, my number six. Okay, and my number six, you mentioned already, Nightcrawler. Um, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal should have gotten a nomination. I mean, it's not the kind of movie the Oscars reward, but it, that movie 
stuck with me for a while after I saw it. We devoted an entire show to it, just like you said. It is an amazing film, and you have to. Everyone needs to go out and see it as soon as they can. Absolutely amazing film. Now, number five. Now, my number five is American Sniper. And I'm going to talk just briefly about the film because as of this recording, I have seen it three times. Now, I'm going to see it at least one more time because it's part of the Best Picture Showcase. So, you know, you've heard all about American Sniper. It's based on the autobiography of the same name by Chris Kyle, Bradley Cooper, plays Chris Kyle in this film. And uh, to me, I find that I'm loving this film each time that I watch it because I'm noticing little more nuances and little little things here that I didn't mention the previous viewing. And I just I just love this film. Like take the controversy of it aside and just look at it as a film and it's very amazing film. And I we will talk about it in a future episode once Adolfo gets caught up in American Sniper. I do want to elaborate more but I don't want to do it now. We'll kinda of show it on time. But American Sniper is my number five exceptional film. Okay. Um, did you, by the way, in the times that you noticed all the new things, did you notice the fake baby? Yes, I did. Although I didn't notice <laughs> it the, the first time, though. I saw the article on it, and then when I looked at it again the second time, I was like, oh, that's a creepy... It was a robot baby, I think, because it wasn't just a doll. Like, it moved and everything. So it, kind of, it, was, it creeped me out. Sorry, I had to say it. Uh, my number five, the Michael Keaton comeback story, Birdman. Um, I just think it's the acting showcase of the year. Uh, so many good performances here. Uh, Keaton, obviously, uh, Emma Stone, um, Ed Norton. I mean, it's just an absolutely exceptional film. It's we'll get to this later, but it's gonna get pick up a few statues come Oscar time. My number four film of 2014. We talked about it last episode. Whiplash. I mean, with this film, J.K. Simmons, you know, inches even closer to godhood as far as actors go. And just an incredible story, the perfect ending. Miles Teller was excellent. I mean, we gushed about it enough. Definitely in my top five, number four, Whiplash. All right, my number four is Gone Girl. Uh, I was so surprised by this movie, especially as we as we mentioned on the show, they totally fooled me halfway through the movie. Once they got to that twist in the middle, I was completely sold because by, by up until that point, I was like, I don't know about this movie. And then once I saw the, the twist, I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. That was freaking masterful. Uh, Rosamund Pike absolutely knocks it out of the park. Ben Affleck, also fantastic. Uh, Tyler freaking Perry is amazing. <laughs> uh, I cannot believe I'd ever say that, but he's amazing. All around, this movie, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Gone Girl is my number four. Awesome. And the film that worked you. I'll never forget that, bro. <laughs> that you, you got worked by David Fisher. I just totally bought it. it totally bought it. Uh, my number three film of 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was just such a fun experience at, at, at watching this movie. I've seen it now at, uh, five times since buying the, uh, buying the Blu-ray. Um, just we, we discussed about it enough on episode 50. Taking you know these these dealers characters as you put them that nobody knew about and instantly making a pop culture icon. You know that's got to say something about the film and the director as a whole. My number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, my number three is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, it is. You know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, and this film is the epitome of Wes Anderson. We we have done a, a full review of this movie um, earlier in uh, actually came out in early in 2013 or 2014. So you know, go back a few episodes to find it. But uh, it, it Ray finds absolutely hilarious in this film. 
Uh, I just love everything about it, from the from the production design to the characters to the writing to the performances. Um, it's just funny, and I just really enjoyed this film, Grand Budapest Motel, number three. I, I've seen this two times now because I, I just picked up the Blu-ray on Amazon. It was like five dollars for oh, like wow. a couple of days, and that, yeah, it was an amazing buy. And I, I saw it, you know, the second time just recently, and I remember liking that movie more than I did the first time I saw it. Maybe I picked up a little more of the nuances from the first time, but I, I still like Moonrise Kingdom better, but I definitely grew to appreciate Grand Budapest more, and I just love Wes Anderson's unique style of filmmaking. It's just it's something people aren't going to like, like we talked about, but I, I love the way he films. So see, definitely see, I hold, a great film. I hold off on buying Wes Anderson movies because, right away because almost always they end up going to Criterion. So I just, even, I know Moonrise isn't there, but uh, I think it's not, gonna, it might be this year. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to touch Moonrise or Grand Budapest until like I'm absolutely sure Criterion's are going to do it because they've up almost his entire filmography. Actually, his entire filmography up until Fantastic Mr. Fox is on Criterion. So the only ones, the only right. ones that aren't on there are his two most recent ones, Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest. So I'm just going to wait. A, I'm going to wait. I ha- I have. Uh, Rushmore, I have Life Aquatic, I have Bottle Rocket, and I have Fantastic Mr. Fox from the Criterion Collection. So, is Moonrise, I don't have Darjeeling yet, but I will pick it up probably the next flash that they do. But Moonrise and Grand Budapest are the only two that I don't have that are, um, you know, because they're not Criterion yet, but you, I'm sure, you know, they will be. Cause sure they, they, Criterion loves them, so I'm sure they will be. Definitely, definitely. All right, All right, your so, number two. Yeah, my number two film of 2014 X-Men Days of Future Past. On episode 50, I talked about how I thought this was a five-star film, how much I love the film. I tried to defend it. Hopefully, it worked on a few people, kind of maybe think think a little bit. But to me, this is an exceptional film, only bested by one other film, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But X-Men Days of Future Past is my number two. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Past is so hard to leave off my list. Uh, this is such a good year for comic book movies with X-Men and Captain America and Guardians, not Spider-Man. Um, but it was just <laughs> such a good year for, for comic movies. But I I, um, I left that and Captain America off my list. Um, my number two is Whiplash, uh, which, you know, I had such... By the way, before I continue on Whiplash, um, and don't don't say it yet, but I'm pretty sure we both have the same number one at this point um, because you haven't mentioned it and I haven't mentioned it yet. But uh, be- before I saw Whiplash, uh, my number one was the clear number one. Now, Whiplash is still going to be number two, but it's really close. It's neck and neck for me. Like if you ask me tomorrow, I might flip them. Uh, but Whiplash was so good that, you know, J.K. Simmons was so good. Miles Teller was so good. The the sound editing in this movie was good. The music was good. The cinematography was good. The pacing, everything was so phenomenal in this movie. I had a hard time not making it my number one. But I think both of our number one just, just edged it out for me. So go ahead. You can, you can have the honors. All right. So on behalf of Adolfo and myself, our number one film of 2014 is other than Boyhood. I mean, it, it takes an exceptional filmmaker like Richard Linklater, or from now on, I'm going to just call him Linky, because, <laughs> but 
taking the exceptional filmmaker like Linky to have the patience to film bits and pieces of the story that over 12 years to use the same actors and to be able to see this actor, not only this character, but this actor grow up before our eyes. And it's something that we gushed about in episode 50, but, you know, it's kind of, kind of relatable in a way, especially for us. So there's not enough praise I can give it. My clear number one boyhood. And the thing is, so I was, it, it, it was neck and neck with Whiplash for my number one. And the reason I give it to boyhood is just, I have to reward the ambition. Like, that is such an ambitious project to, to take on that, and especially when you don't even know if it's going to work. You don't know if you could, he could have spent 12 years doing this and then gotten to the editing room and like, what did I do? I wasted 12 years. And, and it did, he didn't, it worked. It, he, that was such a risk and a gamble to take. And it absolutely worked. I mean, this movie, again, much like uh, Interstellar, it, it just moved me and I was very touched by it. Um, and, and on top of the fact that it was just a wonderful film, wonderfully written, fantastically acted. Um, unfortunately, I don't think the, the two actors that were nominated for Oscars are going to get it this year, but uh, it's just such a great film. I, I, can't, I can't say enough good things about it. Now, if for anybody who's interested who's seen the film and kind of want to learn more about it, Slate did an excellent FAQ on the film Boyhood and asked like very interesting questions. Like for example, just one I want to illustrate. Like you mentioned about how when you make a movie like this, you don't know if it's going to work out. So one of the questions asked in this article is, did any of the actors ever want out? And the answer is yes. Ellen Coltrane and Linky's daughter, Lorelai, did want out of the movie at some point. Especially Lorelai. She actually asked her father, can my character just die? But uh, <laughs> once her father kind of convinced her about, like, you know, the SAG minimum, uh, that's it's pretty good money, especially for a kid her age. So then after she kind of came around on that, she kind of wanted more parts in the movie <laughs> after she after he convinced her about the, the, the money. But, you know, excellent article, kind of really goes into, like, the making of the film. But like you said, we got to give it for give it up for its ambitiousness and just the overall patience it takes to make a movie of this sort. And that's why our number one of 2014 is Boyhood. Now, kind of to, to kind of uh, segue into the Oscar nomination and the predictions we have, because of its ambitions, because of just, just how it is, I think Boyhood is taking Best Picture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's going to take Best Picture. It is right now the favorite. Uh, to take Best Picture, which is kind of crazy because it's um, it's a really it's you know a very small indie film. It didn't come out during award season, you know. Um, the only other movie that I think has a shot is, believe it or not, Birdman, um, because because it, it has so many nominations, the uh, the Academy might go that way. But um, I think Boyhood is a clear favorite for Best Picture. Absolutely, and then. Uh, in conjunction with that, I feel Linky is getting Best Director as well. I think so as well. For that, yes, definitely, definitely. And then now for Best Actor, you, you know what? I'm still gonna go with the Michael Keaton comeback story that we alluded to in past episode when we did Birdman and in this episode earlier. But you know what? It would not surprise me if they gave it to Eddie Redmayne because it just seems like they're so e- they're splitting all the awards in terms of Best Actor. So if Eddie Redmayne did end up winning. It would not surprise me in the least. Yeah, but uh, if the Academy is a different voting body than the other award shows. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, 
that's why I think it goes to Michael Keaton because the Academy as a, in, in a, as a whole is going to like that story better than than Eddie Redmayne. Um, it, it's Eddie Redmayne arguably might be the better performance, but Michael Keaton. I mean, it's just. You you want that feel good story of the Oscars of him like you know yeah. like going up there and giving his speech it's just that's what you want. Well, so that, you know what? to in, me that's who wins it. Well, you know what? In two thousand nine, I wanted the feel good story of Mickey Rourke coming back and winning the Oscar, but they didn't give it to me. Yeah, but Mickey Rourke kind of screwed himself on that one. No. He shouldn't have gotten involved with actual wrestling because <laughs> that that was that that soured a lot of his contemporaries. Uh, well, I mean, we've, we've harped on that story enough on this show, but uh, Best Actress, though. Now, I haven't seen two of the five nominees for this award. Rosamund Pike would win right now for me, with a research this one coming in a very close second. But it seems like Julianne Moore has this in the bag, even though I haven't seen the Still Alice yet. I think Julianne Moore is the is the favorite, followed by Reese Witherspoon. Actually, um, I hear a lot of good things about her, and I think she, those two are the front runners right now. Rosamund and Pike maybe in third, and the other two I don't think have a shot. Yeah. I mean, as good as Felicity Jones looked, as great as her performance was, yeah, she's nowhere near even talk of winning. So, uh, Best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons has this in the bag. In the bag. Even though Eddie Norton is great, Ethan Hawke is great, Bobby Duvall is great, Mark Ruffalo was great, as we talked about with the Fox Hatcher Review, but J.K. Simmons was just all the way up here, and everybody else is, like, below him. So, definitely... I think J.K. Simmons has the strongest shot at this. Um, It is kind of crazy how stacked the Best Supporting Actor uh, race is as well. I mean, that's a pretty competitive field right there. Definitely. And I don't know if you've heard, too, like it came out, I think, a couple days ago that after this reporting, that if they do the Spider-Man reboot again, they want J.K. Simmons to come back as uh, J. Jonah Jameson. As he should. As he should. As he should. <laughs> uh, best Supporting Actress. Uh, from the field we have here, um, Patricia Arquette, I think, because Laura Dern for Wild, I mean, I like Laura Dern and Wild, but she, there wasn't anything exceptional about her performance. She kind of just played the character she always plays. Uh, Keira Knightley, Imitation Game, nothing exceptional there. See, the, Emma Stone would be my number two pick. If I had to pick a number two, it'd be for Emma Stone. And then Meryl Streep, like I talk, we talked about her Into the Woods, she was good, but it seems like they're just throwing her another bone to like, break the record or something for nominations. I don't think I don't think Meryl Streep takes this. Um, no way. The rest no of way. them, though, it seems kind of like a pretty wide open field. I think Laura Dern is a dark horse. I think it's. A, I, it's I, mean, a, I don't know, man. I mean, there wasn't anything, to me. I mean, my opinion, there wasn't anything exceptional about her performance in Wild. The same thing with Kira Knight, like Emma Stone. I like well, that's what I'm more. saying. She's a, that's why I'm saying Laura Dern's a dark horse. I don't think she's got a shot. Um, I think it's between. I think Emma Stone to me is the favorite here, followed by maybe Patricia Arquette. Um, the rest of them, Meryl Streep, I think was it's just the Meryl Streep holding spot, and the other two I don't think have a shot. Yeah, I mean, and I was so happy to see Emma Stone make a comeback from that awful Magic in the Moonlight to redeem herself. So, I got to get in once per show. Don't embrace the hate, man. <laughs> uh, just a couple more uh, categories we can get into uh, best original screenplay you have Birdman Boyhood Foxcatcher Grand Budapest and Nightcrawler you know I mean we talked about you see, Nightcrawler was pretty high on our list 
on our uh, top ten, but I think Grand Budapest is getting this. Uh, I think, yeah, Grand Budapest or uh, Birdman might pick up the, the original screenplay. I, as much as I'd love it, I don't think Nightcrawler will get it. Um, I don't think Boyhood will get it either. Foxcatcher, yeah. I don't, to me, I don't consider it an original screenplay because it's based exactly. on true events. It's based on like, a I, book. I know, yeah. I know it's not, I know the whole movie was not actually adapted from a book, but since it's yeah. based on actual events, to me, it kind of disqualifies it, to me. And now it's, it's based on, on a portion of a memoir, too, so, you know, it's kind of yeah, really it's, original. It, yeah, it's just, I mean, to me, original screenplay means you came up with the material. Like, you created yep. the material. You know what I mean? Like, if you're if you're basing it on true events, and I'm not saying that that is not as difficult, but you didn't create those characters. Those people existed, and you are, and those events happened, and you're writing a story about it. You know what I mean? As opposed to the story of Boyhood or the story of Grand Budapest Hotel, which are completely fictional. Yep, absolutely. And then on, on the flip side of that, we have Best Adapted Screenplay, American Sniper, Imitation Game, Inherent Vice, which I have not seen yet. I, I am planning on seeing it. Dear Everything and Whiplash. I hope Whiplash gets it, man. I hope Whiplash gets it. I I don't know where this one goes, to be honest. I'm still annoyed Gone Girl didn't get one. Oh, but, okay. um but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where this one goes. I, I actually don't have a thought as to who gets this one. I hope. Yeah, I mean, last, but I don't it, know it, if it, that it wins. Yeah, I feel like if there was going to be a, a runner-up, it would probably be American Sniper. Even though, from what I've read, like the the movie and the book are kind of two completely different things. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, honestly, I do feel Whiplash should get it from from all these, even though I haven't seen Inherent Vice yet. Uh, we're not going to do Best Animated Feature because Lego Movie's not in it, so it's completely useless. Uh, well, hold on. I will say this. I will say this. I did see Big Hero 6, um, and Big Hero 6 is kind of fun. It's just not the Lego Movie. Exactly. Is it better than the Lego Movie? No, it's not. It's not the Lego Movie. And neither is How to Train Your Dragon, you know? And now, they're, maybe they're not judging it on... I mean, it is this animated feature films, so maybe they're not just judging it on the story and the entertainment value, they're, they're judging it on the actual uh, technique and style of the animation, and maybe they don't agree that the animation in Lego Movie was good enough. Whatever, I think right. they're wrong, but to me that's the best one. Now, I do want to bring up quickly the original score, because even though it's Grand Budapest, Imitation Game, Interstellar, Mr. Turner, and Theater of Everything, I think it's going to come down between Interstellar and Grand Budapest for that one. Uh, yeah, I think I, you know what? I want it to be interstellar because Hans Zimmer has been working with Chris Nolan for how many years now on awesome scores. He did the entire dark Knight trilogy. He did inception and he's been snubbed every single time. And he finally gets one. And the interstellar score is really quite, quite good. I hope he gets it. Absolutely. Uh, best original song. I mean, they threw the Lego movie a bone here with best original song. Even though I don't think he's going to win. I think glory uh, from Selma has it all like wrapped up. Yeah, probably. But I, I, I really hope everything is awesome wins because that, that that song is awesome. <laughs> that, that that would be awesome if it won. Uh, cinematography: We have Birdman, Grand Budapest, Ida, Mr. Turner, and Unbroken. Uh, I don't know, man. I think Birdman has a good chance to get. It. I don't know. I've never seen Ida, so I don't know. If maybe you have an opinion on that, but I think Birdman. Gets I, I I haven't seen Mr. Turner or Unbroken, um, but. I mean, I imagine Unbroken looks good because it's Roger Deakins and Roger Deakins is the master. But um, between the ones I have seen, Ida is freaking gorgeous to look at. It's black and white, and I'm a 
mark for black and white. And it's just beautiful, gorgeous black and white uh, cinematography. Um, if I had a sh- if I had a guess, I would guess Birdman takes it because of the um, you know, and Emmanuel Lubensky is, is a good cinematographer too. But I think he it gets it because of all the long shots and it's a little more flashy, you know. So that's why I think Birdman picks that up. Yeah, uh, makeup and hairstyle. You have Foxcatcher, Grand Budapest, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um. Mm. You know what? I don't think Foxcatcher really deserves it. Uh, you know, I, because that nose on Steve Carell was just, it was so obvious. Like, it was so, it was a little distracting sometimes, you know? So I don't know if it deserves it because it wasn't very convincing, you know? I, I hope that Guardians of the Galaxy gets it because Me I too. love Guardians. And it, it was some impressive makeup on that, you know? I mean, a lot of people, I mean, the makeup on Batista, the makeup on uh, Zoe Saldana, the, the makeup on... Um, uh, the dude from Walking Dead, who I can't remember his name now. I mean, there's a, a lot of good makeup and in in, in effects in that film. Yeah, man. Uh, costume design. You have Grand Budapest and Heron Vice, Into the Woods, Maleficent, and Mr. Turner. I mean, it's going to come down to Into the Woods or Grand Budapest. Definitely good at it. Yeah, these are usually out for more flashy ones. Um, I would say Into the Woods. Magne- uh, actually, Maleficent might get it, too, because it's pretty flashy. Um, Grand Budapest. So they they rarely go to the period pieces like Inherent Vice, and they usually go to the they usually go to the flashy ones. And uh, one more to get into because this is kind of the category where they see they throw the popular films in it just to throw them a bone. Uh, best visual effects: Captain America, Dawn of the Apes, Guardians of the Galaxy, Interstellar, and X Men: Days of Future Past. Uh, you, do, you know what? Quite a competitive race here. The only, I mean, yeah, I mean, all of these movies look phenomenal. I mean, the only one I think that has the least chance of winning is Captain America um, because when you look at it, and its visual effects were good, but when you look at it compared to Dawn and Guardians and Interstellar and X-Men, it's just not quite up to the same, you know, you weren't blown as blown away. I think to me, Dawn, Guardians, and Interstellar are the front runners. If I had to, if someone put a gun to my head, I think Interstellar gets it. Um, my choice would be Guardians because they made you believe in a walking tree and a talking raccoon for two hours, and you didn't question it. So that that's why I would go with Guardians. Um, but I, if I had to guess, I think the Academy gives it to Interstellar. Hmm. Yeah, I, honestly, I figured. I mean, as much as I want Guardians to win, I think it's going to come up to Interstellar Dawn of the Planet of the Years because of the amazing work you know, that Andy Serkis did and all that. So I thought that would be more of a front runner too. Well, yeah, I think it, it, it's those three. It's one of those three. If I, but I, I still would say, um, as far as likelihood, I would say Interstellar gets it, and then I don't know about Dawn or Guardians, which one is better. But um, I would like Guardians just because I love Guardians, but. Uh, Interstellar, to me, I think, is the one that actually takes it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's pretty much it for this year's Oscars. I mean, we skipped over a couple of uh, categories, but overall... Well, hold on. We, we you, didn't about... tell me, you didn't tell me who you want for a short film documentary. Come on. <laughs> because I don't care. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not that I don't care because I haven't seen any of them. So Actually, no I, I did... Because the problem... You know, what, you know what bothers me about... Um, the, the filmmakers who, who release these short films. Uh, I actually like the short films. Like I, if you, you can get the, um, the nominees for the short films of the live action films for the last several years. I think 20, if you can definitely get 2013 and 2012, 
on Amazon. You can rent them or you can buy them on, on streaming. And they're really good. My problem is is that they don't really make these movies available until after the Oscars are over, so I can't really make any like sort of informed opinion on it. You know, and I kind of want to make an informed opinion on it because I'm a I'm a huge movie dork and I want to see like everything I can see, right? Um, but they don't make these films available until much later, and it's like, why? What what market are you like? Just release it online, you know? <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Release it online and and let people see it. To your point, though, I will say that the art house that I go to, what they do is either the week before or two weeks before the Oscars, they will screen all of the short films like in one screening. You get the live action, and then, um, I mean, you have to pay separate for the animated short films, but you have, you know, you can see all the live action short nominees, or you can go see the animated short nominees, or both. So, I mean, that art house, at least, does make it available, just not as much in advance as I would like it to, because by well, that time, I don't have time. Yeah, that's the thing. I would like it better if they, they were just released, like, way ahead of time, because, I, I, like, for example, I know, like, like, with some of these movies, like, you can't, for example, Theory of Everything, right? Theory of Everything you can see in a theater. You're not going to put that online anywhere because you can still go see it in a the theater. But no, you can't see these short films anywhere. So if you can't see them anywhere, and yeah, you, you do that thing where they put them on, uh, release them in some art house theaters, but not everybody has an art house theater, right? And mm-hmm. and I have an art house theater, but it's in Chicago, and I currently live in the suburbs. So I have to, it would be a, it would be a trek for me to get down there and do it, you know, as opposed right. to just, just releasing them online through like iTunes or Amazon or whatever. I mean, this is digital age. Just release them online and let people watch them. And, you know, maybe make a little money off of them, God forbid. <laughs> right? You'd think they're actually their mindset. It seems to be their mindset for everything else. But, uh, yeah, so the uh, 87th Academy Awards are this Sunday. Uh, I'm two days away from my 24-hour showcase, my now annual tradition. So that's, that should be for another, another experience. I already took the mon- uh, Monday off work so that I could catch up on my sleep because by the time the doctors are over, I would have been up like 40 hours straight. So good thing I have Monday to, uh, you know, catch up on sleep and take a breather from all this. But uh, I guess with that, we can wrap up for suspected episode 57. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Just make sure to put in something like for suspected or fp. So uh, we don't really talk about sports on this show, but I just have to say, how about them Seahawks, huh? Sure. Because remember, this is this is three days from the Oscars. So how about them yeah. Seahawks? Another Super Bowl title. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, or, let's, let's, or let's record the alternate one. How about them Patriots? Tom Brady just redeemed himself. Yeah. It's, how about that athletic endeavor? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that anyway, I, um, that I totally yeah. watched. <laughs> yeah, that I. <laughs> uh, do you have any plugs? Um, no, actually, uh, what I am doing right now uh, at, over at EssentialFilmsPodcast dot com. It's not up yet, but I am working on a little project that I, I think you'll appreciate. Uh, now, for those who may not know, uh, for for Christmas, uh, my 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 esteemed co-host and I do exchange gifts, and uh, this year I got him a. A gift, the uh, uh, is it thousand or thousand and one? I think it's thousand and one. Thousand and one. Thousand and one films you must see before you die. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could come up with a list of one thousand films that people should see. So I have created such a list at this point. I have narrowed down a list of one thousand films, and I am my project for the year is to kind of 
put them up. Now, I won't be able to write a book like that, right? But I'm trying I'm every day I'm kind of putting in a little entry uh, with like the film and the the stars, the director, a little blurb about it, and you know, moving on to the next one. I can't write full articles on a thousand. I just do not have the time for that. So that is my current project. It's not up right now um, because I'm still working on it. But that is my current project. Um, I don't mean to be you know that guy, but I mean I loved your gift, but I thought mine was better because I actually used a time machine and traveled into the future to get you that gift. So. You did do that. You did do that. Um, and that might, uh, I don't want to say it because that might give away what we might do in the future. Well, if anybody, has us as fr- if anybody has us as friends on Facebook, they already know what it is. But That's for those true. who don't, yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, quite yeah, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away. It, 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 I mean, you already kind of gave a little bit of it away there, but I, I want to mention it, but I don't want to give away our plans. Now, uh, speaking of plans, now, any day now, I think your your daughter is going to be brought into this world. You're going to become a father. And uh, what's, I mean, the, the main question I'm being asked, um, you know, from people, our listeners, is that does this mean Adolfo is done with the show? And, of course, the answer is no, but I figured you'd want to give your take on that. No, the show is not over. Uh, it's just that for the early part of her life, or the first few months, I might be indisposed. I might not be able to go to the movies as often. Um, and it will affect the uh, content of our show. Now, I might not be on for a few episodes, and maybe uh, my co-host here might want to take that opportunity to have some, some fill-in hosts, but it doesn't mean that I'll be gone forever. It just means that I've got a, a new human life to take care of. Um, and then once once we're on track and we, we're a little bit like in my personal life, I'm a little bit more stable and and we've got we're in a little bit more of a rhythm. Then I'll slowly get back into the game and we'll start uh, doing some more regular reviews. And then maybe what we could do um, is pr- instead of maybe going doing uh, new movies, and since I might not be able to go to the movies that often, we can do uh, maybe rely a little bit more on retrospectives. Uh, on movies that I can just watch at home. Right, right. I mean, if you're worried about, you know, recent releases, you know, I'll just hook you up with my guy. I mean, he'll hook you up with uh, anything you want to watch. So. Well, I, I have a guy, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe if there's, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we have to do for, uh, you know, for uh, to get the, to keep the show going. But for anybody who's a fan of the show, the show is not going anywhere. Uh, I'm not going anywhere permanently, but I might be just indisposed for a few episodes. All right. So now I just want to, you know, announce that, you know, after the Oscar, we are going to take a little bit of a hiatus from the show, maybe a, a few weeks. I'm trying to release shows, you know, a couple of weeks apart. But after the Oscars, you know, especially, you know, with Dolfo, you know, and his daughter, we're going to take maybe about a month hiatus, you know, just to kind of like regroup. And, uh, and then we'll come back either with a retrospective or I'll come back with a guest co-host if Adolfo can't make it. But the show will continue. So after... This episode, we are going to be on a little bit of a hiatus, but we will come back strong, and uh, hopefully the next show will have Adolfo on it, but if you know if you can't make it, I will have guest co-hosts. We'll be more than capable of filling Adolfo's big shoes. So, and uh, I, will say, I will say this, though. We, we could also do something along the lines of where if I, have an, if I have an opening in the schedule, I can just, hey, email you'll go, hey, can we do something and get, get something recorded and see what we can do? You could, could do stuff like that, too. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm all up for that, too. But, uh, 
Yeah, so just, again, I'm sure on behalf of the listeners and all that, we want to congratulate you and your wife on your new bundle of joy that by the time this is uh, up on the site, we'll, we'll be in this world now. So, you know, uh, congrats on that. Thank you. And that is not at all terrifying. <laughs> Uh, okay, I guess with that, do you have any final words for our listeners? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, I hope we've, um, hope you enjoyed our show, and I hope uh, you know that this is this is our Oscar preview. Um, I hope you enjoy the Oscars and the film that you like wins. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you're going to watch the Academy Awards, enjoy the Academy Awards and watch the movies while we're gone and catch up. So uh, I guess with that, I'll be having with Dolph from Suicide Five One Five. Until next time, we are out of here. Take it easy. For 86 years, Oscar Knight has defined excellence and elegance to a watching world. 2013 was full of actresses who gave performances we will never forget. First time nominated. There'll never be another first time. I'm very, I'm very, very proud of it. I'm very honored to be here tonight. It is the Oscars. Welcome to the Oscars. Tonight's theme is Heroes in Hollywood, and we need heroes now more than ever. People around the world are going through hard times, and movies offer us an escape. Movies inspire us. I'm not saying that movies are the most important thing in the world, because we all know that the most important thing in the world is you. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Jared Leto, Catherine Watson, Dallas Mavericks, and the Oscars, Matthew McConaughey. Thank you so much. Thank you. For best animated short. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.